Hey, you're listening to the Say OK Creative Podcast, a podcast where we discuss creativity, process, business, and more with the goal to inspire and equip both young creatives and entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Jaden Seke, and it's a privilege to have you listening in on either Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. In today's episode, I will be talking with multimedia director Chris Merck, who has worked with musicians such as Billie Eilish, Tiger, Aquafina, Gary Clark Jr., Lauren Hill, as well as comedian Hannibal Buress, Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders, Adult Swim, Adidas, and more. Regardless of your creative discipline, I'm sure you'll find a ton of value in this conversation. So wherever you're listening from, get ready to learn, and let's dive into the conversation. Hey, thanks for having me, Jaden. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for making the time to share with all the young creatives listening in. Um, And for those listening, I'm sure you're familiar with Chris's work, but you've probably never known about the genius behind them. His directing work has had hundreds of millions of views and has been part of pop culture for a decade, working with some pretty big names like Billie Eilish, Tiger featuring Justin Bieber, Aquafina, Gary Clark Jr., Lauren Hill, Bernie Sanders, uh, Adult Swim, Adidas, MTV, YG, and co- uh, comedian Hannibal Buress. Uh, I was chatting with a guy named Trung Bao, who you know, uh, who's going to join us in the coming months on the podcast. Hell yeah. Um, and he told me, I love he's amazing, eh? Um, and he told me about uh, you, um, and I'd like never heard of you, so I quickly Googled you, and then I saw these works you did, and I'm like, oh, that's that guy. Um, and I knew you'd have so much value to add to young creatives and entrepreneurs, so I knew I had to get you on the podcast. So thank you so much for agreeing to do it. And it's gonna be a- Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate that a bunch. I love Tron. He's amazing. He's super, super my style, yeah. too. I think. It's like a, a new breed of creative that kind of just has a little more of a wild style feel. Definitely. Sometimes. Yeah. So um, could you tell us about yourself? Introduce yourself to the people that haven't heard of you before. Yeah, yeah. I'm, um, I'm Christian Mercado. Sometimes I go by the moniker Chris Merck. So like um, depending on like, you know, have you found me or like, you know, some people find me different ways. A lot of my work kind of takes on a wide range of kind of, um tonalities so i'm kind of like a mixed media director so i kind of just don't i'm not like um i like to say i'm like basically like medium agnostic where like i don't think medium dictates the approach but like more rather like story or like um what the objective is should you know determines the approach of something and so um i've done a lot of crazy like music video work commercial work um Right now, I'm very much like kind of developing more like story and narrative work. And um, so my work has kind of a wide range. And I think that kind of goes from like these two extremes of just like really dramatic storytelling to hyper stylized, kind of almost like candy spectacle driven yeah. work at times. You know? And I kind of like I like that feeling, you know, um, I kind of take on this approach with a lot of my work that I kind of. Of take to heart called bricolage which is like kind of the idea of mixing things and like i think we live in a culture that is like very much like becoming more fluid yeah everything starts to like mix and kind of it's almost like a big like stew or like a you know crazy soup yeah. you just throw stuff in and like yes oh well it's gonna come out it's kind of like an exciting time and i like to ride that wave like i kind of like the idea that you know just try to make the coolest thing or the most important thing at the time, you know, based on what the project is, you know? And so, you know, those have, you know, those 
people who aren't familiar with my work can just Google and take a peek. And, you know, I've done crazy stuff. Like, you know, that Pocky's video, that was for so example, cool. is like pretty wild. That's a wild style video where it's like, yo, there's no rules. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of enjoy that. I think I, I have a rebellious spirit at times. So like, I think that influences my work too. Like kind of like the spirit of like, having a little bit of like an outsider perspective and being kind of like a, a little bit like really stuck in my own way and like true to myself too. So yeah. I think a lot of my work kind of champions that and like co- emerges out of that as well. So cool. Yeah. Thanks so yeah. much, man. Um, really love your work and it's so cool to get to know you. Um, and I think what you're about to share is just going to add so much value to young creatives. Um, I'm fascinated by like the creative process and I thought it'd be interesting to spend the first little bit of the podcast breaking down your process. And so I've got four videos, uh, four types of videos that you worked on and I'd love for you to share on them. So the first one is a video which has got 26 million views and that's uh, a snippet into Billy's mind for Billy Eilish and YouTube music. So do you want to break down the creative process for that maybe? Oh yeah, absolutely. First of all, it was really dope to work with Billie Eilish. Like yeah, that was yeah. just, is a great experience. And she is like a creative genius. And um, I think like the approach was that basically Fader had like, they were like kind of working with YouTube on like this, uh, the spotlight series, which is kind of like an episodic kind of uh, styled show. And I, if you look at my body of work very often, a lot of my pieces are past the 30 second range, you know, like I think a lot of people work on stuff and it's kind of like bite size, bite size, you know, especially increasingly so in like an Instagram driven world, you know, where things kind of tend to become more like quick hits. I, because I'm such an avid, I think of myself primarily as a filmmaker, sort of like my inclination is always to lean into longer form work, which has become kind of like a, like a positive thing for me because sometimes the projects I get approached about tend to be longer format. So like a Billie Eilish, like documentary that's mixed media, it seemed like, you know, I kind of fit into that world because I had like a strong background in this mixed media kind of thing, but also I have a lot of experience working in longer format pieces. So I know how to kind of let a story breathe or kind of, you know, explore something. And, um, when I was first approached about it, they were really intrigued in like my uh, looseness where I was just like, you know, I think if I have to describe my process in one way, really clearly, it's that nothing is sacred, you know? Yeah. Where I don't look at things from like this overly precious things. Like I'm comfortable destroying something if I need to, like if I worked on something for like, I don't know, a day, and I felt like at the end of the day, I was like not happy with it, you know? I'm comfortable destroying it, you know? Okay. Like, I'm, and that informs my process because I think like what happens traditionally, I think when people work on something generally is that they'll, this is like something I've seen other directors do too. It's like, you know, and this is like something that people are trained to do a lot is that everything has to be perfect. Yeah. Everything has to be perfect. And I think what happens sometimes because of that is that creatives are kind of stuck in this mind state where like once you get halfway through something or past halfway, 
you can't acknowledge that there might be something fundamentally wrong with a shot or fundamentally wrong with something you're working on. Yeah. And so you're unwilling to destroy it and you end up working on the mistake for like the duration of it. And then you have to live with it somehow, yeah. which I've seen people do for a, lo- a lot of times. And my approach is tends, tends to be more loose. So I'm like comfortable looking at something and being like, you know what, that doesn't work. Let's destroy it. Even if it was a lot of work and you can kind of feel that in that piece where like there's so much crazy happening at all times. And I think it also marries kind of like that short form feeling of an Instagram feeling yeah. but into long form, you know? Um, so like, I feel like what happens is that I was trying to kind of bridge those gaps too a little bit. And um, so generally I was just like the first, like obviously I have to pitch it first. And so my deck, I do my decks in like Google Slides, you know? Um, And the reason is because I think it's just easier to get GIFs and like moving images into like a Google Slide where suddenly I think like the minute you see a presentation where it's not static, it changes the, the, you know, the audience. Oh, for sure, yeah. Like where suddenly you're like pitching and it's like, oh, I already see it moving. And I make these crazy collages and Google Slides that just tell you kind of like what you're almost going to have and the way i approached the billy eilish documentary was kind of like this idea of just like a like almost like a mixed media um process documentary where we were like basically comfortable seeing the seams of the project like where we, i made it a rule where it's like we can see in between the lines you know like let's be comfortable showing like the edit bar like you know or the you know the things loading or things half yeah. finished or things fully finished and kind of jump between all those different states, you know, so that it gives it like this candid feeling that you can kind of see how it's being made as it's, wa- as you're watching it. And there's something exciting about that. I think, you know, cool. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so let's say you've, so once you've done the pitch, what would be your next stage? Like, I think I, I have a pretty cool crew of people I generally tap. Um, we're kind of like pirates, all of us. <laughs> that's, like how I, that's how I see myself a lot of times when I get approached by like these huge entities that like, um, you know, somehow discover me or whatever. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, oh, damn, I'm like the pirate. I get to like, you know, sail the seas and figure this out. And um, for this project in particular, I think I figured out first the shooting style where I was just like, I want to approach like the talking heads interview in a different way that doesn't feel like just a traditional interview style. Right. Cause I kind of like feel like that's so generally you watch an interview footage. It's kind of like very rigid. And yeah. I was like, that's not the approach I want. I want this to be comfortable and open and like, I want it to feel naturalistic. And I think once I said naturalistic, it brought, this feeling where the camera can move anywhere and then like we did it in her room and it feels like a candid portrait in that way and i never like framed her up i was just like you know just be comfortable be where you want to be and we'll kind of work towards you so there's a lot of it was just like finding billy's energy and like what her feeling was and then like you know i was conducting yeah. the interview so there's like an intimate process in that where you're just kind of having a dialogue with this other creative similar to this right now you know yeah, yeah. where you're just like 
it's just like an exchange of ideas or just like a conversation about her process. And, you know, during that interview, we talked a lot about like synesthesia, which was perfect for this project. Cause like we were able to bring a lot of that to the table visually. Yeah. So like it felt very appropriate to, t- to kind of like take that interview. And then we cut that interview and we, we had it as master. And um, once we had that master, it was, it was almost like we shop it up and then found like piecemeal pieces okay. that we felt like could be really strong as a synesthesia feeling where like, oh, this needs like a visual, like who? And then I, I just know so many animators that I would just like, and some of it I animated too, but like we would just kind of piecemeal and send it out to different people and be like, hey, you want to work on this? Like, are you into this? Like, wow. Generally, yeah, that's kind of my approach. Uh, so I'll just like kind of look, I'll just study like a lot of animators and be like, who's are like the animators I kind of quit or who are like the most outsider people or who are the most like fringe animators there are. Cause I, I, I generally like outsiders. Like I think like that's just a theme in my life where I think if someone's doing things too traditionally, I kind of get like sort of, um, I have like a, it has an adverse effect for me where I'm like, ah, oh, that's, that's played out. I don't want to do that. Like, so I'll try to find, kind of more like interesting weirdos or like people who are trying to like break the rules rather than people who follow them, you know? Yeah. So yeah. Sick. Um, man. So the next one I wanted to break down with you was a music video you did for come together by Gary Clark jr. Which has got 14 million views. Great song. Um, Thanks, man. what do you want to break? Uh, what do you want to share? Like, how did you, get that um you know that was that- through my reps so i have like reps which like you know for young creatives if you guys don't know what like a rep is it's like someone who can it literally means representative but it's like somebody who kind of like has hopefully your best interest at heart <laughs> i say yeah, hopefully yeah, so. <laughs> like, it is a weird thing to like suddenly let like this other like entity control certain things about like what work you get in what work yeah. you don't um, which can be complicated, um, as many people probably already know. Um, anyway, so my rep has always been cool on the music video side. Uh, shout out to him, Doug Killinger. He was a uh, really just he had that project, and that actually was a movie tie-in for um, the Justice League movie, which I yeah. know is a bad movie. <laughs> so <Yeah>. like, <laughs> but I was like, I was like, oh movie tie-in uh that's a little that's a step closer to cinema that seems like you know so i was kind of psyched on it and i think a lot of it sometimes when you have those kind of like music videos where it's like mixed with like a film you're always like kind of like it always feels weird like i always felt like oh that's a weird thing so my approach was like how do i make it not weird (laughs) you know and i tried to smooth out the transitions a lot so like the Gary Clark is an amazing, amazing musician. Like he's oh, fantastic. Like he's an amazing talent. And like having him on set was like incredible. And so I was really just trying to like make him almost like a superhero in that project where I was like, I'm going to integrate you into this world best I can. And I'm going to just try to make like the coolest um, movie music video there is, you know, that I was think you definitely did that. That was, it's like sick. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, because I, I basically tr- we we focused a lot on like making sure that they felt like seamless, where you don't feel the cuts as much, where you have yeah. like 
like this world where like Clary Clark is kind of like on the moon and like space and it becomes quite psychedelic in that way too. Cause then you start to like put somebody in space and it has like this Afrofuturism <laughs> vibe too. So I was just like, you know, it was really nice working with Gary generally cause he's, he's fantastic. And then like, I think like that energy that he brought to set kind of translated really well into the film and so me and my editorial partner, uh, Ruder, we work together all the time. Like I, something that might be interesting to know about my process is that I generally try to work with the same people if I can, you know? Okay. Um, I think that's interesting for young creatives or even older creatives because, like, something to think about is when you start working with teams of people, sometimes as a freelancer, you're kind of just... They're, the teams are like kind of like constantly changing, right? And something I start to recognize, at least for myself and my body of work, and this is more probably from a directorial standpoint, was that I, once I started working with the same people, there was more consistency emerging in my work, and then it defines your voice more because you you're able to like kind of partner up with people, and then suddenly it's like um, everyone kind of has a similar sensibility. So you don't yeah. have to always like, over-explain yourself every single time you're doing a project, you know? They just get your and, vision um, in. Yeah, exactly. You can execute a vision, like, way clearer. But yeah, that was the process for that one, yeah. Cool. So, like, with a music video, um, obviously yeah. you've got the artist's opinion of what it should look like, and, it's you know, it's, the song's their baby, essentially. So how do you come in and you go, this is what I'm thinking, and how do you marry mm-hmm. up, you know, their views and your views together and make it, that was a crazy project because there was actually a lot of people involved in terms of because it was Gary Clark, but it was also like Warner Brothers, you know. Yeah. So like, I was dealing with like a lot of like high level kind of uh, stuff, and I think like I would I created a treatment. I think treatments generally are kind of like the first step, you know, and like I think they were really attracted to that, like because it, it had like a lot of consideration for like how gary and the footage will live and be married together and um i kind of like basically just sold them on this idea of just like um like making gary clark like one of the heroes essentially like let's have him feel like he's in that world and like let's treat him in a similar sensibility to that and i think that excited them and it felt like a non cheesy way of integrating him and i i I was I'm, i'm into psychedelics personally so like having like this world where it's like kind of like on the moon and there's space imagery just like really really was attractive and i I think that that attracted them as well where they were like this is this is a cool weird vision and i was like yeah let's ride it out (laughs) yeah it's sick um now next one is tour visuals you've just done for lauren hill on her latest tour tell us about that Oh, that was dope, man. That is like an extension of my uh, constant love of Afrofuturism for sure, where like I really, 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 really respect Lauren Hill. Like I have to like there's so many like reallys I gotta throw in there. I think of her as like I don't know, her voice is so special and enduring in our culture that um she's remarkable. So like anytime I you know, I've worked with her, I'm always like very like precious about it you know so like uh those tour visuals were like basically her 
remixing a lot of her older visuals and like things that she's attracted to or things that speak to her. And so she kind of gave me like a body of work of all that stuff. And then we were tasked with remixing it. So um, I definitely took on this like more like Basquiat kind of feeling. Um, That was a big influence there. Basquiat in general is a big influence for me. Like I just love his approach to life and his approach to art and just his story in general. And I was able to kind of like, basically I just ran with that project. I put a lot of heart into it and I think it shows it has like a warmth to it. And um, yeah, just, I was definitely like that, that style and that vibe is just really coming out of like being true to like Afrofuturism and being true to like this aesthetic that Basque uh, Basquiat created like years ago you know so yeah now basquiat's got some cool work um definitely like what was he 60s 70s yeah 70s 80s even maybe right like basquiat yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. oh and he's puerto rican too it should be um 100 yeah Yeah, he's half puerto rican yeah that's definitely a big reason where i was just like oh yeah that's like it's cool to reference uh your own sometimes and be like yeah pull from that you know cool so the next one is uh, a promo series for a presidential campaign for democrat bernie sanders in 2016 yeah oh man that was cool so that's a purely uh live action project but i i um i gave it a black and white aesthetic right is that correct it's been a while sorry yeah black and white so we gave it like a a aesthetic where it was black and white and photographic and i think that was like the objective it was we were dealing with some serious stuff so like i think that um obviously that that election was crazy that year and um i was a pretty proactive person trying to get like basically i worked on bernie sanders uh like visuals like i worked on like i want to say like two to four different spots maybe wow okay one of them was with spike lee which was like incredible because i got to watch spike lee Durat, and that was like a very like life-defining moment and like kind of like really taught me a lot um and um it was just cool to watch him i was kind of like basically b unit directing like a separate set of promos um parallel to like the main promo that he was doing that was going to be used for online and then the the other promo that i worked on for bernie sanders which is the one with the black and white aesthetic um that kind of came from that as well because then another organization was working on bernie sanders promos and so we ended up kind of just building out those promos for him and uh, it was a, really coming from just my own passion, really. Like, I was just, like, really into Bernie Sanders. So I was just, like, very open to that. And so when I was being approached for those spots, I just kind of said yes and went with it. And I didn't even look at the money. Like, I was like, no, it's cool. Don't even worry about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was kind of like that type of project. But um, those are basically just really clean interviews. Like, they were just, like, the, the approach actually was kind of just more about being immaculate on frame and then like really just asking the right questions you know sometimes that's all it takes you know yeah now, that's a cool thought too because you like you've got the two extremes so your work kind of fits the audience and i think lots Ooh. of young creatives can get um 
they get hooked on one idea and then they put it into everything, but without taking into consideration the audience. Like, you oh, know, yeah. Billie Eilish, she's super into her comfort and being who she is, you know, like oh, she yeah. said that about the way she dresses. So her being comfortable sitting on her bed in her bedroom, yeah. um, the way you interviewed her, Gary Clark Jr., obviously quite a uh, prominent guy. So having quite a strong sort of visual for him, Lauren Hill, just being super chill, part of pop culture, um, ever since her breakout thing back in uh, Sister Act 2. And then you've got Bernie Sanders with his, um, you know, his, I suppose, family values, calm, crisp. Yeah, Um, totally. He's he's just, uh, I think Bernie Sanders, though, like, just appeals to, like, a new generation of people in general, similar to, like, a lot of politicians that seem to be emerging who are kind of, like, trying to, like, I think they're just trying to like right some wrongs, you know. I'm guessing like anyone yeah. who gets into politics, not everyone. I'm sure there's some people that don't, but you know, some people probably come, especially like emerging from this like new, I guess, world that we're tr- kind of starting to see emerge. You know, they're trying to like yeah. right some wrongs, and I, I think I'm I find that appealing. You know, like yeah, I, I, I think I don't know. I, I like new waves. You know, like I think. Generally, I try to like always be on the cusp of something interesting, and some of my work I yeah. think, has that tonality for sure. Cool. Um, would you consider yourself a storyteller or someone who likes making sick videos? Uh, I definitely consider myself a storyteller, mostly, and it's something that um, I think it's really important to point out that you you mentioned it earlier, but the audience, and I think a lot about audience, and I think like the truest way to look at all this stuff that we do is that you are having like a conversation with an audience, you know, ideally, you know, like that's kind of like what this is, you know, you're showing, you're creating something and then presenting it and then someone consumes it or like watches it or digests it. And I think for me, my, my biggest passion is storytelling. Like I think the reason I do what I do is because I love stories and I love, watching film and i like you know i like short form stories and i like music videos that tell stories you know and but i think i too i'm like into aesthetic and like sometimes um i can kind of venture into like things that have like a crazy like spectacle aspect to it and that's kind of like where i yeah i kind of jump between the two i think sometimes um depending on like what the task is I can kind of fluctuate between those two extremes where I can kind of go like for pure narrative or I can go to pure spectacle, but I try not to do pure spectacle just for the sake of it. If I can avoid it, you know, and um, sometimes I kind of land in the middle, which is great, which is like a Billie Eilish piece can kind of be like narrative and a spectacle at the same time. And that's kind of like um, where that kind of exists, you know, and then other things could just be like crazy eye candy or wild and I, I try to put an intent behind it even when i do that but sometimes depending on the task you're not i don't know you're not allowed <laughs> yeah <laughs> it depends i love it yeah i love how you mentioned intent too i'm actually working on a podcast at the moment um called about intentional intentionality and creativity mm-hmm. um and i think that's such a key part of the creative process, I suppose, you know, totally. you're not, um, if you're not creating with the purpose, it's just, you know, making and doing. Totally. And I think that's really important when you're, you know, working with big clients that you're actually sure you're being creative and 
doing something new, but if, if it's intentional, then it makes a difference. Oh, yeah. Uh, we 100% yes, generally want to have like an intention. And I think that that intention changes the tone of the piece. You know, people suddenly yeah. put more value to it and it changes everything, you know. So I think like, like when I lean on aesthetic, sometimes I'll try to make the aesthetic about something cultural. Like the Lauren Hill piece to me kind of leans heavily on like aesthetic, but then like all those aesthetics have like a history and a meaning behind it. So I'm not just doing it yeah. for like the sake of doing it. I'm doing it because it propels some sort of larger narrative forward that you're like tapping into. The, the reason I think actually storytelling is really powerful and really helpful is that um, since so many stories kind of resonate within a, like a like the dialogue of our culture in this larger sense and bigger way is that when you do find those stories and you're able to tap into them, you can kind of, you become part of a larger dialogue and you're able to like tap in and tap out of it. And you, you can kind of change the story or, or reference it or pay homage to it. And then suddenly all those really powerful, like inferred um, motifs or values or um, anything that's associated to that story can kind of be associated to what you're working in too, you know? Um, yeah. That's like a powerful thing, you know? Cool. Um, yeah. So that's a really important uh, thought, I suppose, if we're making, making sure to do it with that intentionality and taking it back to cultures or whatever you're trying to portray. Um, yeah. So the next question kind of on the back of that, I suppose, mm -hmm. So you've taken these ideas and all that and you've made something which you think works and makes sense and you've done the pitch and the people love it. Yeah. And then you make something and you actually get criticism from the clients. And I think as creators, we kind of get our um, our heart um, attached to a project, oh, even though sometimes we shouldn't. Uh, but I suppose, you know, we've been working on it for such a long time, we can get attached to it. So how do you deal with someone saying it's just not what they want or it looks rubbish, mm -hmm. all that stuff? I think like um I I would recommend pick your battles is like what I think. Like you have to kind of be right. very realistic like case to case what you're working on, I think. Where I think if a, a project is like a passion project and you recognize that it's really a passion project and you see it being like something important in a larger context or like you think it's worth the fight, then I say you can you definitely make the you can make it a stand and try to like push back against certain things, you know. But only if you really, really think it's worth it. I think otherwise, like I would never recommend any creative to work on like, say, I don't know, a toothpaste commercial or something and then make a stand on that. Yeah. Like don't make a stand on toothpaste commercial. That's like clearly a task and like a project and you know, don't necessarily like you just know what you're kind of being realistic or having like an a third person perspective on like what you're working on so that you know when it's worth kind of giving a little pushback versus not you know and so like i think like on some cases like if i've worked on say something ultimately i guess when you have a client they're kind of like the ultimate deciders you know like they decide yeah they kind of are like commissioning it so they have to have a say and i think like my, I've always had a, a difficulty, I think, with like the creative industry because I think like a lot of times there's a, there's a, it's a, it's treated like a service industry when it should be treated more like a highly specialized industry. Like you would never tell a lawyer 
like oh how to practice the law you would never tell like a doctor yeah. like how to operate on you so like i think it's very really That's such a good point yeah it's really silly how like in the creative industry like you know people come to you with like creative problems and then they're telling you how to diagnose it and it's actually like that the, is not a good approach it's fundamentally flawed yeah. you know actually so i think it depends on the client but the clients you good clients will trust you and then that's kind of like i think like that's a po- important i guess to your audience where like i guess the more you are true to your own voice or your own style or your own like intent or whatever you're like trying to accomplish then what ends up happening it's it's scary but you filter people out in some ways because then suddenly the clients who think maybe you're difficult or the clients that don't want to like with that style, they'll kind of pretty much not work with you. But then the people that really, really liked what you're doing will probably double down on what you're doing, you know? And so you start to build a body of work because what can happen is like, if you're trying to be too agreeable all the time, you end up becoming mediocre, you know, and that's a danger too. Mm. So you have to be like very like conscious of like what you're trying to do, you know? So like, you don't, you definitely want to work, but you definitely don't want to compromise all the time where suddenly the body of work you're building has no personality or has no intention and then suddenly you're just like a cog, you know, and that's cool too. I mean, I not saying like I don't know. That's a complicated thing to say, right? Like it is, tr- but it's real. Yeah, it's very real. So you got to be careful in how you approach things, you know. So like, my recommendation is like to be very true to what you want to do. You know what I mean? Like be very like honest about what you're trying to do, and then like approach your client situation that way. Where at some points maybe you're also Sometimes clients hit you up, but really you're the one interviewing them, you know, because maybe you want to know, yeah. are they a good fit for you, you know, and that's a good approach too, you know. So that's crazy to say, but I think that's that can sometimes create a stronger body of work than just necessarily doing everything they'll sell, you know what I mean? Some, yeah, for they, sure. They might want also, like, in some cases it's good too, because I think they might want an opinion as well. So, like, hopefully you have a good client, they're just like, open to that you know but i don't know it's a relationship you know like anything in life that that stuff is like a relationship right so like sometimes having that pushback is helpful too like you want you don't sometimes having a client who's vocal and knows what they want that's perfect and then it gives you the Mm. ability to define a piece and so when they tell you something's rubbish and you know, maybe it really spurs that in you where you're like, yeah, you know what? They're right. Like this client's super smart. I think it depends on the level too. Like if you respect a client a lot, then you'll, you, you want their feedback and that feedback is valuable. And that's a different type of client too, you know? So like, I think it's finding those right partners, you know, you know, Mm. you're entering a partnership each time. So you want it to be, you know, you have to evaluate all those things. I think, you know, Oh man, that was intense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it's kind of like um if for example if Nike said it look rubbish, then you'd kind of take it on board, you know, they've got a good reputation. Yeah, but if you put yeah. a, a you know, a RMR store saying that's not what we want, then you've got to take it with a grain of salt and yeah. go, you know, hey, maybe it's not what you thought. Um 
yeah and i think also um yeah just with the whole creative process it's one of those things you've got to get into a partnership with the right people i suppose it's like you know you don't go, keep going to a doctor who uh um, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah just you're, doesn't you're constantly yeah, sick or something yeah. or they're not diagnosed yeah, exactly. right and then why would you go to that doctor yeah. all the time you know and so it's like yeah it's like and, and you know like you said yeah it depends on who you're like if you are like like working with somebody like nike it's like oh shit, they have like a proven like magnificent body of work and they've done incredible campaigns and you can kind of maybe trust that opinion a little bit more like nike knows who they are you know what i'm saying so like I think if you're a smart creative, you acknowledge that too. And you're like, you know what? Like, yeah, let's see what you guys are really looking for. But you're also like being mindful of their history as well. So like there's a history that they're carrying with them, you know? So a lot of, I think like that's the fame too. Like with brands, a lot of times with brands, it's more like what a brand is, is just a feeling, you know? Like brands can just be like an emotion that you attach to yeah, it, you know? I agree. And, and I think if you're toned into that emotion, then you're pretty much going to do what they need, I think. But you might be out of sync yourself, and that's important to acknowledge, too. So you have to kind of know what you're kind of dealing with. You know, like if you're working with Google, you kind of know what their their brand is, you know, like you know what they're like feeling is. So you want to align to that, you know, or like you or acknowledge where you align into the perspective of that, you know. Like I've, I've worked with Facebook before, oh, wow. and um, yeah, and it was cool. And they have like a lot of, um, you know, they're. I feel like they're very like astute as to like who they are, you know. So like, there's not like a lot left. There's not a lot of guesswork, you know, because you can kind of understand what they're like, kind of looking for, you know, yeah. when you do work with them. And I think that um, a good brand generally knows who they are. So like you're able to kind of figure it out with them, you know? For sure. Yeah, yeah it's real yeah. cool. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Well, I hope you're finding value in this conversation today. Our goal is to share and learn from industry-leading creatives to help you as a young creative entrepreneur thrive and develop. So if you haven't already and are listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube, hit that subscribe button to keep up to date with all future content. If you're finding value in this podcast, leave a comment or review. It helps us to reach so many more young creatives. And why not share this podcast with your friends? Because I'm sure they will learn a thing or two, regardless of their creative passion. Anyway, let's head on back to the episode. Um, cool. And I think kind of what you're saying too, like um, understanding who they are. So when you, let's say you start a project, right? And you're about to make your uh, pitch deck. Um, where do you get your inspiration from? So you mentioned um, Biscuit. Um, um and all these other people so obviously like <laughs> lauren hill you've got yeah. um you know the cultural side with what she's you know who she's done traditionally so you've taken her yeah. old work and remixed it but um totally. how do you find inspiration for projects like that um oh, i'm trying to think of the name of it right now the uh oh pocky's video um oh yeah, uh, yeah. Fina. um obviously it's oh. like super um heaps of retro elements in it but with like modernistic kind of like stranger things, um, neon. Ah, yeah. um, so how do you find, I love that. um, yeah, that's a, t- wow. That's a crazy question. It's funny. Cause like, I know that like, um, everyone kind of gets their references from somewhere. Right. And like, yeah, I kind of try, it's hard to do this, but I try to like, um, 
Okay, so nowadays it's crazy because we have like Instagram, right? And so like yeah. if you if you if you put Instagram heavy, what's really powerful and it's sometimes scary too. I'm like the type of person that's always a little cautious about things. Um, is that they have like these powerful algorithms that basically like tune in to what you like essentially. Yeah. So like the more you engage with something like that, the more it's feeding you. So I try to like that sounds pretty dark at some point, right? But like I try to work it so that it does work for me instead. So like when I use Instagram Instagram or when I engage with it, I'm not ever engaging on it on a level that to me is nonsense. Like I'm always just like only liking what I like, only yeah. looking at what I like. You know what I mean? So that the algorithm hopefully works for me. And so what ends up happening is that I get fed a lot of like stuff that generally is cool, like based on my own taste, you know? And so I do get a lot of inspiration from just watching Instagram, which is crazy to say, but um, it's just that that, alg you know, that algorithm is fresh. Like yeah. I try to keep my algorithms clean. Like I'm always like, nah, I don't want any like whack on my algorithm. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so like, I'm just always trying to reinforce that. And like, I like obscure things as well. Like, I think I'm, I'm like a sucker for that. You know, like I, I'm not the type of person who like, if something has a million followers, I'm like going to be into it necessarily. I might, I might be, but like what I'll generally look for is like the more low key stuff, like the things that people aren't really paying attention to that I feel has potential because then it kind of separates things. You know what I mean? Like you get, yeah. you get to tap into something that might not be uh, popular yet, or like you can kind of define it or you can help like boosted there's like different things or it'll stand out visually or stand out creatively and i'm fascinated by that so like right now i'm really really inspired by like people who like preserve 1980s analog technology that creates motion graphics yeah for instance like to me that is super fascinating like that there's like a like a small subculture of people right now that are like working to preserve all those machines that are like dying out and they're like maintaining it and they're able to like use it and create graphics that I think very few people can. And suddenly yeah. they, they're like the only ones who have access to that. And they're the only ones who can make that stuff, you know? And I think a good analogy to that is like in, in cinematography, some of the best DPs <clears throat> they own, lenses that they don't fabricate anymore you know because yeah there's a lot of you know and a lot of it has to do with some crazy where like you know because of our manufacturing processes back in the 70s and 80s and all that you know we didn't have as many strict laws so like that some of the chemicals that would make those lensings and coatings are now illegal, you know? Yeah. So, so those lenses only exist for that short period of time, right? So now they're like the look that is attached to that lensing is unique to that lens. So unless you can find that lens and shoot on that lens, you're not going to get that look. And yeah. so I think in the world of visuals and motion graphics and the world of animation, the people preserving these older machines right now are something that really inspires me, you know, like where they're like kind of like almost like, I don't know. They're just they're It's like a vinyl collector, you know. Like I'm like, yeah, a big circle. I love yeah, vinyl. 
Yeah, I'm the same. So I'm like, I'm I'm fascinated by that. You know, like I'm really more inspired by people who have like weird niches and like doing something that's just like odd like that. And that that to me is like right now something I'll look at a lot. <laughs> and like I think yeah. it shows in my work, obviously. <laughs> yeah. All right. So it's like I'm um, thinking the Duffer Brothers. You know, they got all the inspiration for Stranger Things from all these old '80s movies. Oh, like, hell yeah, hell yeah. Do you, oh, yeah. Saying, like, do you get inspiration from different movies and? Oh, yeah. oh, okay. So I'm always watching film. Film is like a huge, huge passion of mine. It's kind of like where um, I'm kind of moving towards. It's just kind of like filmmaking in general. A lot of the reason I do longer form pieces and I'm attracted to music videos is because having a longer duration lets you do more things. You can explore more. Um, and I'm just inspired by the 70s movie culture. 90s movie culture as well like i think yeah. those two eras specifically have some of the best films like exist you know things from like fight club the matrix easy rider um dog day afternoon you know like all these films i love them just because like they don't really you know those are movies that are probably harder to get made now than they were at the time they were made oh, which is crazy and they all had something powerful to say. Um, so, yeah, I'm definitely, I find a lot of inspiration there. I mean, nowadays I'll watch an A24 movie. A24 is like what I kind of put the most at, at, the, at the moment. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of other companies doing cool stuff in movies like Neon as well. But, like, yeah. um, I feel like anytime I look at the A24 logo, I'm generally going to see like something that's got an auteur sensibility and then, like, it'll be a little different than like say a mainstream film. And um, yeah, I like the current state of independent cinema is fascinating. So I'm, I'm always looking at that stuff too. And I'll, I'll definitely pull reference from that. Like I'll, I'll kind of watch if I, if a movie it hits me and emotionally does something cool, I'll use that emotion and carry it as a reference point for myself, you know, where even if I'm working on something else or even if I'm working on an animation, I try to remember how something made me feel and apply that to it, you know? Cool. Yeah. And we were talking before um, the interview here and we were talking about like different types of media um, and we were chatting about your views on different types of media. So could you share on that? Like what are your views on different types of media? Oh yeah. I'm like medium agnostic. So I kind of feel like I, I think it's weird that people, kind of categorize things. I think this is like categorizing things is definitely such a weird thing. Um, like say like the Oscar categories, like I always feel like it's weird that the animation Oscar is like a separate from like just the best movie Oscar. Cause yeah. like to me, it's not that like animation is not really the like genre. I always have to remind people that like animation is not a genre. Animation is just a medium so like it's just a way a means to execute a story you know so it's like whether you film the story or whether you're drawing it frame by frame or rendering it for like i don't know 20 hours <laughs> or or more <laughs> depending on what you're doing um to me it doesn't really matter like i feel like it's more like what you're doing with it and people want to categorize it and label it but that's like a people thing like, I don't think that your story or what you're trying to execute or your intention are defined by those things, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, you should just, you just work in the medium that to you best suits the task at hand. 
So, like, for instance, that Billie Eilish piece, just because I think she is so, like, connecting this idea of audio-visual, where, like, yeah. there's, like, a strong connection with, like, this feeling of, like, how she builds her music and how it makes you visually feel and trying to merge that together somehow. The task at hand is, I think it's better to show a mixed-media piece to tell her story because you're able to kind of create an emotion or a response based on all those visuals and like kind of almost tells you something generationally or something about that story, you know? And that, that, yeah. that to me is like more important than say being just locked into one medium and being like, you know, like this story should be just this way or being labeled a certain way. I, I think mm. it's cooler to just do what the task at hand requires, you know, and then like not worry about so much about how it's labeled, but I, it's weird. You know, I think mediums are just tools to be played with, you know, like you should just do what you need to do or what you love, you know, and that, that defines it, you know? Yeah. And I think there's like, um, you know, musically too, you get these bands that are, um, you know, in the rock genre for a long time and they go and do something random or we've been mm -hmm. thinking of, um, uh old town road you know it's that oh song. yeah i you love know? that i love that yeah um, but like the whole thing with it you know not being country and then it being taken out of the country charts and all that but that's you know kind of the type of media it's still telling the same story it's yep. you know country you know the uh lyrically i suppose it's country and it's you know he's oh 100 um, like i i think what you're talking about is exactly how i see myself territorially because I think that little Nas X, for example, right? Like what he was doing was he's just making a song. You know what I'm saying? Like he doesn't really, I don't think he was trying to label it. He's just like influenced by country, influenced by hip hop, influenced by trap and he makes it. And it's like, you know, it's genreless in a way, you know, like it's not like adhering to any rules. And so society is like trying to label it, you know, like society or like, labels or whatever i don't even know who's doing it like billboard you know like they're just trying to like oh where do we put this is this here is this here and mm. um that's exciting actually in a way because yeah. it's kind of cool so yeah and i, I kind of like that and i think that's happening more in like our field as well where like the boundaries are being pushed and the boundaries are also getting looser where like you know because even like say for rendering right like when people render there's so many different ways to render something now that really it's more about like what you want to do rather than the process that you do it in, you know? So, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm more interested in that. Like I'm interested in like things that don't have to be defined in one category. Great. Yeah. I think we need to stop um, adding like the different genres and the classifications to creativity, you know, it's all just um, different mediums to create the same outcome. Totally. Uh, yeah. And I think that's such an important thing for young creatives. I suppose we can get quite siloed um, in you know, what we do, for example, if you're just, um, you know, you're, doing something but you're only doing um scandy you know scandy design or you're only doing um boho or whatever you know bow house mm -hmm. um so i think it's one of those things you just need to kind of have a broad yeah. spectrum of stuff you're doing and totally yeah i mean what's exciting too is like when you know the rules of something and then you break it like i was explaining yeah. this to somebody 
where it's like mastery of something is powerful in the sense that once you know the rules of something, when you break one rule, everyone notices it, and then that becomes the style. You know what I mean? Because yeah. like I mean, you're you're trained to understand it one way, but the minute you change it enough where like people notice it being different, then that's like something that triggers people to look. You know? Yeah, and I think it's um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's uh, maybe it's uh, it's not the norm until yeah. it becomes the norm. You know? Yeah, totally, one hundred percent. Yeah, like I think we could look at Tarantino. It's an easy like way to like talk about that. But like um, when he kind of came out with Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, that was so radically different at the time when it came out in the nineties, where like everyone in the film industry and everyone who watched films was just like, "What is that?" You know? And um, but then over time, it's become a style where like. You can kind of say this movie is very Tarantino-like, you know, and um, so that's kind of like how that works. I think, yeah, people kind yeah, of make a rule, and then it becomes kind of like the norm, and then someone else has to break the rules for it to be redefined. Exactly. Yeah, and I think it's funny you said that about how it was. Um, you know, Pulp Fiction was seen as very different. Like I watched it for the first time maybe two years ago, um, and I was like, "This is so cool!" But you, it was kind of like. And didn't feel like it was so different to everything I'm used to watching. But yeah, if yeah. everything before that, um, I love love old movies myself too. Um, and like everything before that was so different. Um, oh, yeah. Same with Spielberg, you know. Um, his, everything was different, and then his thing it was so weird, like ET. Um, oh, totally. Was, you know, everything was so different. Yeah, um, Spielberg was crazy too, because like. Yeah. He definitely defined like what the blockbuster film was, but before him, really, the way he moved the camera, I think like Spielberg is cool to watch just because, uh, especially like earlier, just because like if you watch his movies more like from like he just where he puts the camera and how it moves, he was moving it and putting it in places that at the time when those movies were out, a lot of other directors weren't really doing that, and so it stood out quite a bit. Like, if you watch his old movie, Duel, um, I don't know, that's a really obscure pull, but Duel was, like, this car chase movie. But he tells you most of the story just with camera placement and movement, you know? Like, not even, like, heavy dialogue. And so he was just able to do that way before a lot of other people were even thinking that way. But now that's just common cinematic language, you know? So it's really interesting to think about. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, I'm going to move on to the next section, which is a few questions from some of our listeners. So a guy named Tony, who's 23 from Denmark, asks that he's been, to- uh, he says, I've been told from other music video directors that you cannot make a living on it. Is this true? And if so, what would advice would you give to people who have a passion for creating? Man, okay, so music videos are definitely so difficult. Like, I would say that, like, I, I don't, disagree with the thought that making a living solely from music videos is really difficult. It's a lot of reasons for that. Um, but I'm not saying I, I wouldn't discourage people from trying it because I think what you should always do music videos almost like as a, like a companion or like a secondary thing to something else. Um, very few people can make a living just from solely music videos. Like it's, it's really, yeah, yeah it's super competitive. And also like, 
I would almost say like being a commercial director is easier than being a music video director in some ways, which sounds insane, but it's just sometimes I think like with music videos, you'll get like, I don't know, there's some music videos that have like 10 directors pitching on it, which is an absurd amount, you know? Um, yeah. So they become more like passion pieces, I would say. Like they're just kind of like um, things that you take on. I, I don't discourage it though, because I think people should do it anyway. Cause like, the way I look at music videos is um, like theater where like, it's kind of like theater is just kept alive because, you know, we culturally see a value in it, you know? And so I feel the music video similarly has a kind of feeling where like we keep it alive, but though there's a lot of, there's a, there's a long dialogue because there's just so many things were happening with music videos right now where like they are kind of like in a resurgence right now. So like, I don't know if it's fair to say that it's, it was it was for a, a while it was kind of like a dying art and now it's resurged in a bigger way. But I don't know if the industry has kind of shifted that way yet. So like, yeah, it's a complicated, complicated thing. Um, but I do think people should do them because like you learn a lot, you learn a lot quicker. You are giving a lot of creative control over a piece. You can kind of yeah. print your personality into a music video a lot more than, say, a commercial, you know? Um, so there's a lot of valid things in pursuing it. I think they're just, like, more... If it was just strictly, like, an economic thing, they're definitely bigger risk. And building, like a, subst- like, a sustainable career... I mean, even the top music video directors will tell you that, like, it's all... You know, they wouldn't be they wouldn't be able to sustain themselves just from strictly directing music videos. So I would definitely caution people to have some other type of thing happening while they're doing music videos. Yeah. Look at them more as like labors of love. And that's what they become. They, you don't really want to do a music video for like money. It just doesn't make sense. It's more yeah. like you do it because you love it or because you want to, or, you have something to say or the artist speaks to you, which, you know, I think the, a good piece of advice for emerging creators is to only work on a music video. If you 100% feel passionate about it, because the only thing you're going to get out of it in a way is the, the final piece and it has to be true to you. So like, yeah, you know, that's the, that's the benefit. So it has kind of like a, there's definitely like a risk reward thing going on with music videos, I would say. Great. Yeah, I think that's true. Cause you could, um, you started in commercial and then you've dabbled into music videos. eh? like right. what was the first thing you did? That was, um, for the name, um, Della Soul. That's the one. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Della Soul. Yes. That was a crazy so that- start. That was a crazy way to start. <laughs> yeah. It's not exactly the most, you know, you know, uh, standard switch from you know because you're doing um like stuff for adidas and yeah um yeah i can talk about that a little bit so like yeah go for it. i uh i definitely started more in the commercial world so that was kind of like uh my bread and butter like i feel like i was always i was kind of like raised on like the commercial side of things because like early on in my career I kind of got into the studio art directing scene pretty big okay. and I was kind of just working a lot of studio kind of gigs. And um, 
at some point I was working at a big studio as a director, actually directing like a lot of commercials, but then like, even though I thought my commercials were like cool and I was having a good time doing it. Um, I, I got hit up for this, my first music video, which was De La Soul. And I was like, when I saw the budget for it, it was like almost absurd where I was like, in my head, I was just like, Oh man, is that even possible? Like, how am I going to make this? Cause they were asking us to do like a Rubik's cube with them projected on it. And I was like, man, working all these like crazy jobs that were commercials. I kind of had an understanding and a scope for like how big projects can be and how can they can get. But I kind of talked to a friend and I was just like, Hey man, I got hit up by De La Soul to do this music video. I've never done a music video before. And I asked him, should I work on this? Like, it seems like the budget's crazy. And he gave me a piece of advice that I kind of hold on to till this day. He said, just say yes and then figure it out as you go. (laughs) And that redefined that moment is crazy because, like, after that, I was able to take on so many different projects that I wasn't really taking on before. And it was just a philosophical kind of like tweak that just happened in my brain i don't know what happens it's weird when that happens when somebody can just tell you something and it just hits you that way yeah because suddenly it was like solving a puzzle where i was just like you know what i'll say yes and then suddenly i had to figure it out and because i was forced to figure it out i somehow made it work and after that i learned so much and was able to take that skill set and it affected a lot of different things that I work on, like it even cross pollinates into my commercial work where, you know, certain things that people think are impossible, I'll figure out how to make it happen, you know, because a lot of people like to say no. And um, I think a lot of what I've learned, especially when I work with, because I work a lot with like high level talent, as you pointed out, is that um, you don't want to be a victim of other people's laziness is what I Mm. advise people which is like a true a truism of the world in some weird way where like you'll, when you find yourself in certain projects or certain scenarios, you, as, as a project inflates and you're working with like, say 50 to hundred people. And you're like, what can happen in those scenarios is that some people are not as invested as you are in something, you know? And so they're not going to put in the same passion you are. So you have to find a way constantly to be working either around that or motivating people to do that. You know what I mean? So that's like a whole yeah. crazy spectrum of things that I've been learning about my throughout mo- a lot of my career, but hasn't really become clear till recently where I'm like starting to realize that, yeah, don't, you you know, as a, especially as a director, you don't want to be the victim of other people's laziness. Like you don't want, because you're at the mercy of how, you know, how someone else will sometimes work on something you know you want to find good collaborators you know you want to find people who find true passion in what they do and um you know so it's a crazy thing yeah <laughs> i don't know what yeah. i'm going with that but that i feel like those are two hot gems right there that i gotta because it's definitely this idea of like like the idea of like if something seems like harder or more like really difficult the minute you say yes and you, if it excites you, if it makes you passionate, you will find a way to figure it out and you will learn yeah. so much in doing that. And then as things get bigger, <laughs> learning that, oh, 
not everyone else cares as much as you. So having to be like able to like maneuver around that and like find ways to like either, you know, find people who want to with you and like people who want to like work as hard as you do and like make as cool as you like you want to be surrounded by passionate people. Like I think that's what what it is. And I think like I've done a good job at finding like cool, like I like to call them spiritual warriors, like people who are just like, yo, I'm super into this. I'm down with this or this is cool. And I love being surrounded by people who find passion and aren't like generally being like, oh no, that's a problem. Like, no, it's not a problem. You should like, we should be figuring it out. Like, why aren't we being creative instead of just turning down something because it sounds crazy. And I feel like nothing cool has ever been made with people just saying, well, let's just settle. Like, that's not how you make cool (laughs) at all, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. That's kind of like what I've learned, at least in those scenarios. Mm, that's so cool. Um, now, our final question from another listener is from Taylor from New Zealand. And she asks, do you ever feel as, as, um, as though there's nothing original left to produce and create? You know, um, I don't think that's the case. Because like, I feel like I'm constantly in awe of like the shit I see people make. You know, like every... You know, every so often some new shit pops off and you're just like, what the hell? Like, I didn't expect that. Like, even, like, say, like, Billie Eilish as an artist, for example, was kind of, like, amazing surprise to me last year where I was like, what? Somebody's, like, doing music on this level right now? This is cool. Yeah. Or the emergence of, um, like, dope films, you know, where I'll be like, like, I watched The Lighthouse recently and it's a magnificent film. And I was like, wow, it's the, just the fact that someone made that now, is it, are these fans all necessarily original or just tapping into something larger? It's, it's hard to say, you know, I don't know. They're, they're definitely, I mean, that's a big debate, right? Like, is there really ever an original thought? I mean, yeah, the truth is, you know, we're all part of the canon of something larger, you know, like we all are kind of like this, you know, we, humanity has been here for like a long time. Right. And we yeah. are like kind of this generation, every generation is like the collective sum of where we've gotten to culturally at that point. Right. You know what I mean? And so yeah. we're, we are empowered and have the canon of everything our predecessors did before us. And we can pull from it, you know, and be able to talk and speak to that or, use it, you know, and create new things. Or um, I guess this is what meme culture is kind of a, in a way, right? Where like, because meme culture, even though like we read it as like what it is now traditionally, is really about like pulling from things that we already have an association with and then remixing it or recontextualizing. And so I think that a lot of what we do as artists and, you know, when we put our own vision to it, it's just kind of like our perspective on something, you know? So yeah, we're entitled. We're, we're, we're able to kind of speak to these things that are larger than us because in some weird way, we also have ownership of it because we are kind of like, you know, we're that, you know, we're the new and we're able to kind of put a perspective on it, you know? So, and I think that makes it new, you know? Yeah, I think it's interesting too about um, kind of improving things and stuff. Like I'm oh, thinking, totally. uh, 
Thomas Edison, you know, made the light bulb. He didn't make a new and improved candle. But the thing is, the concept came from the idea of creating light with a candle, but he just improved it. And I think that's with us as creatives, we can always take something to the next level, even if it seems physically impossible, like there's nothing left to do. There's always going to be something more we can um, take it to another level. 100%, yeah. It's like almost like, before even like before the candle there was like a campfire right and it's like yeah exactly from campfire to candle to light bulb then what's after that you know what i mean like yeah that's definitely the way i think creative works where like you you want to pull you want to pull from other things because that's a dialogue and you want to be part of the dialogue and like expand it so that's how i look at it creatively like i think there's there's always going to be something new but it doesn't hurt to look at like the things that have been done before because they might, it's your perspective that's going to allow it to become new. So you have to really like infuse your perspective and what makes you unique, you know, and that's going to make yeah. it stand out, you know? And I think like, that's the challenge. Right. And I, I, I I'm not going to say that finding your voice is easy. I think it takes a lot of, it's a difficult oh, process. Sure. It takes long time, but once you find it, and once you have that perspective, then it's yours and it's yours alone. And the way you look at things will always be a little different and you'll always be able to put a part of yourself into it. So I think that's how you make things original. Yeah, great. Um, yeah, thanks so much for sharing on that. So as we come to a uh, close, I was going to ask four quick fire questions. So um, answer these in you know, a short sentence um, if you can. Yep. So the first question is, what is your favorite movie? Uh, Dog Day Afternoon by Sydney Lumet. Great. Um, number two, what has been the highlight of your career so far? Uh, winning a jury award at South by Southwest. And, um, number three, what is the most f- uh, fulfilling part of your job? Uh, seeing how an audience reacts to your work. Right. And finally, what is the single piece of advice you would give to a young creative? So the best advice I would give young creatives is to take risk because especially as you're younger, you're going to be able to take those risks, you know, in a way that as you get older, it might become more challenging, you know, and it's definitely mm. the time to be taking the risk. So don't be afraid to explore creatively. Don't be afraid, you know, especially now to like kind of just do something different and like see what happens, you know, creatively, because you might be defining something that everyone else wants to do eventually if you do it now. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for sharing with us today. Um, I know we got so much value from it. Uh, and I think, you know, even though I'm not a, you know, create a uh, filmmaker, well, I do a little bit, but not a director as such, um, as a graphic designer, as a musician, I've been able to take some of those concepts and apply it to what I do. And I think every other listener, whether, you know, you know you're an entrepreneur, an artist, a designer, musician, or, you know, writer, whatever you do, I think you can kind of learn from the stuff that you've just shared. So thank you so much, Chris. Oh, um, and it's been an honor to have you on. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate being part of this podcast. It's a big honor to just, uh, be here and like you know listen to me rant about crazy (laughs) (laughs) and i think that's cool too two weeks uh two podcasts in a row both named chris so i think i've got to find another chris now
I'll hook you up. I know a lot of Chris's. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Chris. Um, and thanks for joining us today on the Say OK Creative Podcast. Make sure to share, uh, share this with your friends and family on social media and uh, make sure to tune in next time with our next guest. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you've learned a thing or two to help you on your creative journey. Once again, thanks to Chris Merck for joining us. And if you aren't already, go give him a follow on Instagram or Twitter. And if you found value in today's episode, please share it with your friends, colleagues, and family. And make sure to join us next Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. This is the Say OK Creative Podcast.